verse 17. That's where we get the rapture. Verse, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And therefore, comfort, church. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, Father, we thank you right at the outset of this service. Lord, we thank you for your presence that is so rich and so tangible this morning. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, you would speak to each of our lives this morning, that we would leave here both informed, Lord God, and encouraged. That, Lord God, that we would be a people that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of judgment, that, Lord, we would be able to speak the truths of the gospel, Lord, into the mess, Lord, and see men and women set free for the glory of God. Father, we thank you for the mercy that you've shown those of us this morning that are saved. Lord, we know too well that we didn't deserve it. Lord, it's not because of any merit of ourselves, but simply by your grace do we stand here today saved. And Lord, it's with that spirit and with that understanding that we pray that, Lord, this would be a day where we would see men and women come into faith under the preaching of your word. Father, we pray for the many other churches taking place today at this hour, that, Lord God, there be Holy Spirit break out the revival, Lord, in these days, that we would hear of men and women, boys and girls, coming to faith in these days, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So we're going to be considering not the rapture in itself today, because many of us know that. I want us just to, to ask some other questions, and some simple questions, and we, they'll be all interlinked as we go through this this morning. These are not all points, but they're questions that I've addressed as we go through this. For instance, why the rapture? Who is the rapture for? What will happen to the believer at the rapture? What will happen to the world when the church is raptured? But most importantly, the, the personal responsibility that we each have to be ready for the coming of the Lord. That's, that's one of the main things. We don't want to get caught up in everything else. The main thing that we want to get caught up is, are we saved this morning? Do we know the Lord Jesus? That is where the central theme of the gospel always lies. This text this morning in context is dealing with the early church whose loved ones had died and they were troubled in spirit. The reason they were troubled in, troubled in spirit is that they themselves had expected the Lord Jesus to have returned already, the second coming in their lifetime, you see. He had rose, he said he was coming back. In their minds, he was coming back soon in their lifetime. And this hadn't happened. And in this time frame, of course, many of their loved ones had passed on in the glory. But they didn't have the canon of Scripture like you and I have. So they were still trying to work it out. They, didn't, they weren't able to go to these, these Scriptures that we have and, and understand these truths that hadn't been penned yet. And they had become concerned about what had happened to their loved ones, those who had died already. And this, of course, caused them, caused them to question things and as a result, they became confused as to how and when their loved ones who had already died in Christ, why they weren't resurrected with him. And Paul then in return says to them, brethren, I don't want you to be uninformed. Of course, they were uninformed. Concerning those who have fallen asleep. And I want you to notice something that Paul doesn't use the word Sorry, I want to, uh, concerning those who have fallen asleep, I want you to notice that Paul doesn't use the word, sorry, those who have died. He uses the word those who have fallen asleep. You see, Paul saw death through a different lens than the rest of the world, a different focus. He didn't see death as the end. 
as many of these early believers did, and perhaps you maybe today feel the same. He, he understood that, that death as, as in Christ had lost its grip on all believers. And therefore, th these believers who had died, they were not dead in Paul's eyes. They were asleep. You see, a sleeping man wakes up in the morning. But a dead man has no morning to look forward to. And Paul is saying to the grieving brethren, listen, we mourn. We, we, of course we mourn, we sorrow, but we, we don't mourn the way that the world mourns. Yes, we as humans, we, we know what it is to be mournful. We know what it is to be filled with great sorrow and loss. We, we know what it is to cry. We go through the same motions as everybody else in this world goes through. But Paul says we mourn differently than unbelievers. And the question you have to ask there is why, Paul? What makes me any different from anybody else who has suffered a great loss? And Paul goes on to say that, listen, this Christ that you have expected to come back in your lifetime, he has not come back yet. But what we know is this, that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him, think of that, bring with him, those who sleep in Christ. And what we see is here well, that when Christ returns for his church, all who are asleep in Christ will be with him. Paul was starting to speak into their sorrow, into their confusion. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17 regarding their loved ones who have passed on before them. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. Now you could easily read over that. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. It doesn't say be with the Lord yet. It says be with them, those who have preceded us. And we'll meet them in the clouds with the Lord. And thus we shall always, always, no more sorrow, no more death, always be with the Lord. And, and Paul says, look, church, because of this knowledge, we're to comfort one another. It doesn't give us ignorance to the fact that we mourn, but it gives us comfort. It doesn't make our sorrowful any less sorrowful, or sorrow any less sorrowful, but it, we are able to comfort each other with these truths. Comfort one another with, with these words, Paul says, because it's the gospel. At the end of the church age, when Christ comes for his bride, what the Bible teaches very clearly is there's going to be a mass resurrection of all believers. They're going to be reunited together with their, with their loved ones. This is according to the word of God. It's not an interpretation of a preacher. And verse 17 is what I want us to consider briefly today. Is events surrounding this rapture we've just spoke about there. See, see the rapture is a, a future event. Each Christian will be caught up, it says, to heaven and meet the Lord. But where do we get the word rapture? So you're going to be asked these questions, and, and that's why it's good to inform ourselves of such things. And what we find out about the word rapture, or it, it comes from the word caught up. The Latin word for caught up is rapturo. And that's where we get the term rapture. It simply means caught up. If you ever wonder what rapture means, there it is. It's caught up. It's in Scripture. And you know, we and I, myself, many times in, in trying to understand the vastness of this topic, and it's vast topic. Don't, don't get caught into one view too strictly. But these things that we're talking about this morning are pretty clear within Scripture. But the whole topic is vast. And we sometimes, and it's quite easy to get confused with the rapture and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ are two very different um, happenings. 
The rapture itself is not the second coming of Christ, although we often refer to it as such. The account of the rapture and the second coming are, are very different. If you're taking notes, if you write down 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, that will tell you enough about the rapture. And if you read this alongside Revelation 19, which speaks of the second coming, you will see that these two events are, are very different. Some examples is that when Christ returns at the second coming, he's not meeting us in the clouds. He's coming to earth and he's going to establish his earthly kingdom. We know about the millennium reign, the thousand year reign on earth. This is when this will take place. But when the rapture takes place for the church, we're told that the church is removed from the earth and brought into heaven to be with Christ. And there which he will be rewarded for faithfulness and also attend. You ever hear of the wedding feast? That's when we will sit to eat and sup with the Lord Jesus again, who didn't break bread. You remember the night of the Last Supper? He says, I'll wait to the later point, the wedding feast. He'll break bread with his church again. So the second coming will take place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. That's where the views differ. So I'm saying don't get too caught up in views. Could be pre, mid, at the end. We're at the pre. That's where I am. But there is other views. But the rapture will take place in and around the tribulation period. The second coming happens at the very end. We're told that the rapture, church, will happen suddenly. It'll be like a thief in the night. And the church will be removed from the earth and caught up into heaven. And with this revelation, you see, the believer is to be, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their life, is to be encouraged to search their hearts and to consider their ways. In one way, we, in light of this coming for his bride, we are, we are to make sure that our house is in order, that we are prepared to meet the Lord Jesus in that twinkling of an eye. It's also a reminder that all who are not saved this morning, you're reminded of the importance of personally coming to Christ for yourself. You see, if we could draft you in, we would have everybody saved, but nobody would be saved. But when the Lord draws a man or woman in, that person not only gives their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they stay. They stay and walk with the Lord all their days. There's a difference in a man drawing somebody to faith and the Spirit of God drawing somebody to faith, that we can be all be ready at his coming. Can I just remind you that not one of us here was ever born saved. We all, we all come to faith, some of us kicking and screaming, all of us more in a nice manner, but none of us was saved at birth. We all chose at one point to come to the Lord Jesus. Yeah, that's what's important in this all, that the Lord is, is coming again. That's what we need to understand regarding this text. It's not so much the message to comfort as it is, but in the main central theme is, listen, no matter what has happened to us, what will happen to us in the future, where we find ourselves now, the Lord's coming again, and he's going to put things right. That's what he's saying to his church. Your brokenness will be restored. Those who are unsaved this morning, prepare yourself and be saved. Come to the faith and get yourself ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And with this, we will remind ourselves as a church that we are not to get caught up in the wrong things. And boy, it seems to happen very easily for me. Instead, the church is to get ready to be caught up in the things of God and that wedding feast. One thing we need to understand about the rapture as, a, as opposed to the Old Testament, it was a mystery that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. You see that in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, look, behold, I tell you a mystery, church. We should not all sleep. We should not all die, if that makes it easier to apply. 
We should not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye where the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable. And so it shall be, we all shall be changed. And what Paul is saying here, church, to you and I, is that there is going to be a generation, now get this, that is not going to experience death in the natural. It's going to be raptured. I don't know what the selfish side of you thinks, but I often think to myself, Lord, I'd love to be that generation. Just don't have to face that. There's no guarantees of that, but there, there is, according to the teaching of the Word of God, a generation. It speaks of a sudden removal of believers from the earth. And what this means, to help paint the picture, is that there will be no grave to visit. There will be no funeral service to be taken for those who are left behind. And Paul says that this great event is going to happen suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye, in a blink. And this is important because the rapture is only for the believer. Now, not because we think highly of ourselves. In fact, the man or woman that's truly saved knows too well they're standing before God as a great sinner. The only reason that we can say this is for believers is because it's only for those who are ready, who are saved, and that's what the Scriptures teach us. Please don't mistake this for any arrogance, anything of the sort. This is only for those who are prepared place, for prepared people. Only those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ will be caught up out of this wicked, rebellious world. Then the next question I ask myself is, is there any biblical examples of this within Scripture? Specifically the Old Testament. And that's always a good place because the Bible interprets itself. And what I found is that within the Old Testament there is many types and foreshadows of this great event that must take place. In the book of Hebrews, which I know is the New Testament, but stay with me, we read about Enoch. And Enoch is a picture church of the promised rapture. It's a shadow of what is to come. Now we know that Enoch lived before the flood. You read about him in Genesis chapter 5. That's our Old Testament link. And the scripture tells us about this man, that he was a faithful man of God. He was a faithful man who lived among a wicked, unbelieving people. And what we can learn very briefly with Enoch is that living in an ungodly nation is no excuse for living an ungodly life. Enoch was a great, 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 great grandfather of Adam. If I've missed a great, I apologize. I find four. He was also the great grandfather of Noah. It helps you paint a picture and place this man in context. We're told that he lived on the earth for 365 years. We're also told that in the twinkling of an eye, he was caught up to heaven by God. Let me read it to you in Hebrews 11:5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he did not see death. He could not be found because God had taken him. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased the Lord. It's not something, church. He pleased the Lord. And when we say, and the old preachers of old used to say that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, I don't think it's changed any. It still is a call to the church to be holy because God says he is holy. And Enoch, we read here, didn't experience death. He was caught up to be with the Lord. But there's another example, and we see it with Elijah. And in 2 Kings chapter 2 and 11, 
we read that Elijah is making his way to the Jordan River as commanded, or sorry, to Jordan as commanded by the Lord. And with him he has Elisha, the young prophet in training. And it's interesting to note in this bit of scripture that Elijah knew that God was about to take him to glory. He was ready to be raptured. And this knowledge is also given to the New Testament church. And therefore no believer has any excuse to be caught off guard. We must be ready. And Elijah says, Elijah, sorry, says to the young Elisha, who by the way had just asked Elijah for a double portion. You know the story. A double portion of his anointing. And Elijah says to him, listen, you've asked a hard thing. But nevertheless, if you see me, he says, when I am taken, that's his words, when, if you see me when I am raptured, when I am taken up, it will be granted to you. And it says, this, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly, notice the word suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, listen, separating them. Two key words in that text. It comes suddenly, and there's a great separation. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. So there we go. We see Enoch, the man of God, was raptured in the Old Testament. Elijah, the man of God, was also raptured. So there's our, 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 our shadow of what's to come. And this is what Paul is speaking about to you and I in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He mentions a generation of believers that, have not, that will not taste, taste, taste death, but be raptured up to glory. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all die. You see? We shall not all. There's a generation that will not have to face the last enemy. It'll happen suddenly when the world does not expect it. Perhaps when the church does not expect it. If you and I was to stand before the Lord now in the flicker of an eye, there's no doubt we'd be speechless for a moment or two to get ourselves together. But so it is, it's suddenly. Then a simple question I asked was, why is the rapture necessary? Why do we not go through, like many Christians before us, many martyrs before us died? Tyndale, for, for printing this in English, was nailed to a stake and burnt. Why do we deserve to miss any persecution? Is it because we're westernized? We're used to our comfort, our warm pews, warm churches? Is it because we don't think we deserve that? Or is it the grace of God? Well, I believe it's the grace of God for the end-time church. Because this is not the wrath of, of, of Nero being poured out onto the Christians. At the end times, it's the wrath of God. You see? It's the wrath of God that's being poured out upon the world. Not the works of Satan. And so therefore, the rapture is to deliver God's people from the wrath that is about to come. You recall last year, we looked briefly at the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Revelation 6. And we, we just touched on the rise of the Antichrist and the man who comes in peace but later makes war. We spoke about there'd be famine and death right across the world, you remember? But that would lead on to the seal judgments and, and the judgment, the bowl judgments. This is called the wrath of God, for your own knowledge. So this is God's wrath upon the earth. It's not sin. It's not, it's not evil working against good and, or fighting against good. This is the wrath, this judgment, and all of which is being poured out upon the earth against man's sin. And here we see the, the, the rapture removes the church from God's wrath, not from persecution. We could very well in our lifetime find, be martyred for our faith very easily, happening all over the world. But this is a time where God removes his church from the, his own wrath that he's about to pour out. In Revelation 3 and 10, we see that 
uh, we're dealing with the seven churches and the last church, the Laodicean church is believed to be in church history, the last church before Christ returns. So it's the seven church years that we see. All scholars believe that the church history is in that Laodicean age. That's the age that we're in. And here we read these words, but because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Let me give you more. Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. See the theme? It's the wrath of God that we're being removed from the church is being removed from. Another great uh, promise, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not des destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ is not going to put his bride into the hands of Satan, neither under the wrath of God. The rapture is taking his bride to be with him forever. Or as one commentator put it like this, the rapture is to join head and body together. I like that. To join head and body together. The church being the body of Christ, of course, and Christ being the head of his church, united. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful picture? So the Lord is coming for his church. In the twinkling of an eye, there's going to be tens of thousands of believers worldwide are going to be caught up to heaven. And that leaves simply two questions. What will happen to the world at this point? What will happen to the church at this point? What will happen to the world at the rapture, in part, is when the rapture takes place, according to Matthew's gospel, there's going to be a mass separation of people. Do you remember with Elijah? There was a separation that took place in an instant. This is also a shadow of the great separation of the sheep and the goats. Edwards' comedy put, commentary puts it this way. A great division is going to take place within the world, and this division is of sinners and saints. So the scriptures teach us that we are all sinners. Let us remind ourselves of that. We're all sinners. And only in Christ can one become a saint, and thank God for that truth. And therefore, all who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved, repented of their sin, will be taken up. And all who have turned their back on God, his salvation will be left behind. Now, church, I want to ask just one simple question to you this morning. If the rapture was to take place today and thousands, tens of thousands of people were to vanish in the twinkle of an eye across the world, they were taken up, would you be caught up? Would you be found with the saints? Or would you be left behind with the sinners? And I'm just asking that question because that's how important it is. It's the role of every minister to share and divide and rightly divide the word of God. We have the, the grace of God at our fingertips. His arm at this time is outstretched. For all who call upon him shall be saved regardless of where you've been. But the time is coming when the church is removed. Will you be caught up or will you be caught out? And that is a question that we need to answer. Are you ready if he was to come today, or, or listen, as a man says to me once before, I've heard that preached many times, he hasn't come yet. So true. And every generation has been warned. And perhaps you're hearing this for the first time or the hundredth time, it doesn't take away from what it teaches. Are you ready? Is your life in order? And that's the question that we all, whether we're saved or not saved, will we be caught up and caught out? Or are we caught out and left out? 
See, there's an evil at work in our world. And this evil is called lawlessness. And this is a forerunner of the rapture. It's a forerunner of the rise of the man of sin and the Antichrist that is going to deceive the world. And in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, listen to what Paul says, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in our world. We can see evil in our world, listen. But the one who now restrains it will continue until he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed. See, there's something holding back all hell from breaking loose in this world. And if you're any way observing it all, you'll see that that's starting to get worse and worse and worse. There's a restrainer that's starting to step back. If you can't see it, you just need to open your eyes. And this restrainer is debated about who it is. I have a simple belief that this restrainer is none other than the person of the Holy Spirit. As I say, there's other beliefs. This is my firm conviction that this is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that restrains this evil. And this is my next belief that the Holy Spirit is within all believers. So I believe this is dealing when the restraint is moved, as the church removed. That's my belief this morning. And so when the church is taken away, that which restrains evil, holds it back, will be removed. And therefore, as a result, evil will be free to do as it pleases. And according to what we looked at with the Revelation 6 last year, that's exactly what's going to happen on this earth. All hell is going to break loose. And there'll be a mass separation of saints and sinners as a result. And what we know about that time and that period on this earth is that all ungodliness, listen, on the hearts of men is going to break out. And all believers will be with the Lord. Let me read this separation to you and we're going to move on. Because I know it's a lot um, this morning to take in. So Matthew 24, if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes, church, because honestly, it'll make this time a lot easier for you. And you'll get, always will get something. The Lord will always give you something. If you just write stuff down, it helps uh, your time. In Matthew 24 and 40, we, 40, we see a separation. Now listen to this, picture the scene. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. One will be caught up. One will be caught out. Two women will be grinding in the oatmeal. Oatmeal, sorry. One will be taken. The other will be left. And therefore, stay awake. For no one knows the hour or the day when the Lord will come as he comes suddenly. Church, there's a call for us to be ready this generation, the next, and the one prior, to be caught up. And you know, many believers today do not believe this to be true. Many commentaries have turned from this belief as well, sadly. And likewise, there's a theme. Many of the unsaved don't believe either that there's a coming judgment. There's a theme. Liberalism, media, it numbs our senses. It blinds us from the reality of who we really are. But nonetheless, listen to the words of Matthew 24, 39. He writes this, And they, speaking of the unbelievers, people who just laugh, nonsense. And they, the unbelieving world, were oblivious. Think of that word. And they were oblivious until the flood came, swept them all away. And so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In Noah's day, church, the world was oblivious that they were about to face judgment. I looked up the definition of oblivious, and I know many of you people, especially our Mark here, who's got a great head on him, probably already knows this. But just in case you're not sure, let me just give you the definition of oblivious. It speaks of someone who's not aware of or concerned about what is happening around them. 
not aware or unconcerned for what is happening around them. And you know, church, if there was ever a time from Noah's day where people have become so oblivious to what's happening around them, it's quite possibly now. There's very few people now think for themselves. Brain dead. Led by mass media. You have a conversation to somebody about any topic outside of the narrative of the media, they're gobsmacked. There's no God because they're told there's no God. Jesus never existed because they never bothered to see was there any evidence. The last time I checked, there was 5,780 different manuscripts that spoke of and proved the existence of Christ. More evidence in history than any other topic you've been taught. But yet the narrative is today, he never even existed. And by the way, there's not one atheistic or atheist historian who ever has denied Christ. Not one. The question isn't, did he exist? The question that people struggle with, did he rise from the dead? And glory to the Lord. And thank God we're not going this year in the summertime on a wee trip over to Israel to, to gather around the tomb and think, come be all, my Lord. Because he's not there. There's no tomb. Because he's alive. You see, people don't think for themselves. No one asks these questions. Oblivious, I would say. Oblivious. But the truth of Scripture says this to a world that's oblivious and it speaks of the rapture. And here's the truth to all who want to listen. All who are not saved are not ready will be left behind. Will be given over to the hands of this lawless one. And that's the truth that we need to evaluate. And then the last wee bit, the church after the rapture. What will happen to her? Well, during the seven-year tribulation period, the believers will be rewarded for their faithfulness. I want you to keep your head high in this church. Because perhaps you're looking at yourself and going, well, there's not much trophy for me then. We all feel like that. So let's be easy on ourselves. By grace we've been saved. But there is things that we need to put right on. There is we need to do them. That's it. He rewards the faithfulness. Talks about giving somebody a cup of water. You know, it's not the big things. It's the wee things. Loving one another. In 2 Corinthians 5 it says, We must all appear, Paul says, before the judgment seat of Christ. And give an account. And to be honest, it often worried me, this little text. But I've chosen to try not to worry, but to simply keep serving him. Keep looking to him, and I would encourage each of you to do as much. For we must all appear, he says, before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And there we see. And therefore, he goes on to say, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, the fear of the Lord. There is a healthy fear of God that many believers have lost. And we were on the Zoom meeting on Wednesday night, and the Greys brought a wee study and we looked at, we're not getting into it now for time, but we looked at a wee bit of the story, remember that, and it talked about the fear of the Lord and how the fear of the Lord caused the, the, Egyptian, the Egyptian midwives not to slaughter, you see, the Hebrew children. They feared Pharaoh, but they feared God more. And, and because they feared God, they did what was right, you see. And that's what a healthy fear of God in, in our life does. It makes us do what's right. And Paul persuades the church to give thought to their lives. Think of the judgment seat of Christ. For the time is coming when we all must give an account at the beam of seat of God. And there will be rewards of good that we have done. And of course, some will suffer loss of eternal rewards. But listen, 
Don't ignore that either. Because temporary pleasures could rob you of eternal rewards. Eternal rewards. But don't get mistaken. You're saved this morning. Your soul is safe. And as believers, we are to be careful how we live and how we treat others. Romans 14 says, speaking to you this morning, me this morning, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Ever done that? We've all done that. Are you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So church, let us each ask for a revived fear of God in our life that will help us to live according to his will, to please him. I love Acts 10, 35. But in every nation, listen to the words, in every nation, anyone, anyone, any person, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable and accepted by him. You see, there's no excuse for ungodly living in a godly world. So during the time of the rapture, the church will stand before God. Although some will suffer loss, and no doubt we all will have some regret that what we could have done and didn't do, but by and by, this great event for the church is going to be a time of rewarding the church. The Lord says he's coming and his wages is with him. You don't, there's no man debt in debt to the Lord. A time of rewarding, a time of rejoicing, listen, a time of glorification. Now there's one. We will truly glorify God with our lives, truly. First Peter 5, write this in your heart. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading, unfading crown of glory. You know, church, we're finished now, so I just want to speak this into your heart to free you up to listen. There's many times, church, that we have failed him, isn't there? There's many times that we have fallen way short of our own expectations, let alone his but the time is coming, church, when he will change us, Paul says, in the twinkling of an eye. We will no longer fall short of his glory. In fact, we'll have an eternal crown that brings him glory day by day, year by year. For forever we will praise him and glorify him. Amen, church. Amen. I want to ask the team to come, please. I know there's a lot to digest this morning, but there is... The word of God taught to you, at least in part. So then, therefore, we can tell others. But ministry is always brings it back to our heart. The heart of men, whether you're a saint this morning or you're a sinner this morning, the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And our title this morning was, does anybody remember? Because I know we can easily forget these things. Caught up, not caught out. So church, friends, whoever is listening to this today, if the Lord come today and the church was raptured, gone, gone, would you be? Simple question. As we just prepare our hearts to come around the Lord's table, would you be? Would you be caught up, caught out? You know, I believe the Holy Spirit is working among us here today. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to do one of two things. I'm speaking to the, the Christian first and foremost this morning. I'm going to give you an opportunity under 
the demonstration and the leading of the Holy Spirit to listen, recommit your life to the Lord Jesus. We often use the term backslidden and all these other things. Do you know something? In any one given month, the truth be told, there's many of us backslidden. Many of us. In any given day, we haven't stopped following the Lord Jesus, but for some you have. For some you've allowed things in your life to take over that communion, that close fellowship with the Lord Jesus, which brings joy and quietness to the soul and mind. Because his whose mind is steadfast upon the Lord knows perfect peace. And many of the Christians today, their minds is not the perfect peace because they're caught out and caught up in all the wrong things. And so I want to just give it to you this morning. Where are you? In the light of God this morning, in your walk with the Lord Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to recommit your life to him, get your house in order. I'm also going to give an opportunity if you're not saved here this morning. I've just tried to be as gentle and as clear as I could with the word of God this morning. And I believe that it's quite clear that the Lord loves us. And in the middle of all this chaos and judgment, the gospel is still the center theme. And his arm is still outstretched, but for some reason you haven't grabbed it. You're not taken it, you're not saved this morning. That's the work of the minister. I'm going to give you an opportunity to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Can we just bow our heads? Just one moment, please. I just want us to allow the Holy Spirit to work. I want to share in these moments a, just a wee brief story. And I'll never forget hearing it. It was the late Pastor McCollum. I remember him preaching a word and he used this illustration and it really touched my heart. And, he spoke of um, George Jeffries and many of you know that George Jeffries is the founder of the Elam movement and the story goes that for a time I don't know how or why but for a time he worked in a, a tailor's shop you know all the wee pins would be used to hold the, the garments together to get the sizes and whatnot, and all that's entailed and, but one of George Jeffries' jobs at that point as a young boy was to um, pick up the small pins that had fallen to the floor you see the question was asked that to George, how did you manage this to lift up so many small pins from the carpet, from the floor? An answer came that George Jeffries used a, a big magnet, you see. <clears throat> and as he put the magnet across the floor, the pins would shoot up, shoot up and attach themselves, you see, to the magnet. <laughs> what a picture. What a picture of the church. At this time, we're, we're in the carpet of filth in this world. Of course we are. We're in the threads of society. And we're, we're placed here to be a light, to, to draw other men and women and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Tell them at the spite about the, the judgment and the, and the chaos in the world that the gospel is central and Christ loves you. He died for you. And that, that's where we're at this morning. And I want to give an opportunity. Because you just think for one moment. At any moment, according to scriptures, the hand of God is going to sweep across this world. And you picture that magnet. And you picture all the people of God being caught up to be with the Lord. Only to be caught out. Only to be caught out. Now, it's not fear. It's truth I want to preach this morning. If you're not ready to be saved this morning, your heart will not be thumping. You'll not be wrestling with yourself to come to faith. You'll just have nothing this morning. But if you feel your heart thumping, you feel the word of God speaking to you, the Holy Spirit I want to just encourage you. You'll never regret it. 
Christian. Never, I've never heard a Christian yet ever say they regretted coming to faith. Is there one, is there two this morning? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to ask you to put it down again. I'll see you. I'll meet with you in private. Now, is there one or two here this morning? Not saved. You want to come to faith this morning. You want to be ready. I believe the Spirit's working. Is there one here this morning? Conscious, the Spirit's working. If you're not saved, God's been speaking to you. Lift your hand, I'll see it. We'll move on. Listen, I'm going to leave it with you. Those of you this morning that you know the Lord, you are here, but you're not where you are living a lie we all do it don't think any preacher doesn't get a word from the Lord without first examining his own life and heart every week I get to examine my heart the light of the word I'm presenting not exempt exempt this morning so any believers here this morning you want to recommit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ this is between you and God now what I want you to do is acknowledge it to me I'm going to pray for you and that's it it's between you and God just raise your hand up and take it down as quick Thank you. See your hand. Is there another one this morning? It's between you and God. Your life's not where it should be. He's telling you it's not where it should be. And we have to acknowledge that. You have to acknowledge that before he can step in. Is there one? Thank you. See your hand. Is there another one? There's two this morning. And I know, listen. Is there another man or woman here this morning? You're not right with God. And you're trusting him this morning now. You're recommitting your life to him this morning. You're trusting him to do the rest. I believe the Spirit's moving. I really don't want to move on too quick, but I'm conscious. For all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Glory to God. Jesus. So, Father, we thank you this morning that we found in your house. Not just any house, but the house where the Spirit of God is living and active and moving in our lives. And Father, I thank you for your word, Lord God, that teaches us so clearly that the time is coming when the day of grace will be closed and over and enter into this dark period in history, Lord, where the Antichrist will take his place and ultimately the world would be judged, Lord God. But Father, I pray that we are still in this day of grace, that Lord, you would speak to the people of this church in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for them, them, them people, Lord, who have responded and acknowledged that, Lord, their life is not where they want it to be, where it should be, that things have gotten in. But Lord, I open that up. Lord, in these moments, would you search all our hearts? Truly, we all can say this morning, there's things in our life there's people in our life. There's things we've been doing we shouldn't be doing. There's things that we haven't been doing that we ought to be doing. And Lord, there's all these things. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would, Lord, hear our cry. And Lord, we recommit our lives to you in Jesus' name. 
Lord, for the man and woman that's not saved, that, Lord God, you would speak to them in these closing moments, that they had know to simply cry out unto you, to acknowledge their sin and be saved, that, Lord God, you would enter into their lives, you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, and, Lord, you would make them into a new person. And their name be written in that Lamb's book of life. Glory to God. And when the hand of God comes, all who are his will be caught up forever to be with the Lord, forever with the Lord. Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah, church. It's been good. It's been good to be in the house of God.